This is an Audible. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you for clicking on this link. I really appreciate it. I'm going to warn you ahead of time, this might be a little bit different than the usual projects you're used to hearing from me. Um, as opposed to a podcast or anything like that, I uh, will not have other personalities to bounce off of, uh, like the uh, incredibly funny and talented Tom and Corey. Uh, this is going to be much more intimate. It's just you and me. I am sitting here in my office. I've got a little candle burning next to me, and uh, my plan is to read you my book that I wrote in little episodic segments. Um, and I genuinely appreciate anybody who even attempts to be along for that ride. Um, so speaking of the book, let's talk about it for just a quick minute. It won't be long. It is called The War Cleric. Uh, I wrote it with kind of three goals in mind. Uh, first and foremost was just to write something fun that made you want to turn the page or listen to the next episode, I guess. Um, you know, this is my fourth book, my second novel, uh, since I've entered into the adulthood, the post-18 phase of my life. Um, past books, I put like this pressure on them to be like the next big American novel. And I think that that's kind of the arrogance of youth that that's the ego of an early 20 something uh that's like yeah i'm i'm literate i can write an incredible novel uh everything i've written historically has probably been kind of crap and i can see that um so this time what i wanted to do was just be like hey i want to write something fun something that i would like that was objective one objective two was to play with the fantasy genre uh, to try and make a healer interesting. You know, in any RPG game you play or team-based game, um, shooter like Overwatch, anything like that, the healer is always considered like the low-tier, boring character to play as. And so I was watching The Witcher. Uh, well, the order of events was I played Witcher 3, I read The Witcher books, I watched The Witcher TV show, and became kind of enamored with that... Uh, monster of the week fairy tale dark fairy tale kind of thing and i wanted to write a riff on that uh, and decided that it would be fun to try to make a healer interesting uh in a world sort of like the witchers um hopefully not derivative of the witcher but in a fantasy world full of you know political going-ons and monsters and magical things so that was an objective too Objective three was uh, Chuck Plotnick has a famous quote where he says, you know, take your biggest problem, magnify it, and write a book about it. Um, as somebody who served in the military and has been a registered nurse through COVID and a bunch of other things, I've often felt like an imposter in my world, uh, standing on the shoulders of giants. I'm around heroes in the military or I'm around these incredible nurses and doctors in the healthcare field, but I've never really felt like I was to their level. Um, and trust me, if you, <laughs> that's fair criticism on myself. I'm not being humble. Uh, I will take any time to brag about myself if I can. So I wanted to take that idea and, and blow it up into a book. So really, this this entire novel is a, a, an experimental riff on The Witcher through the lens of imposter syndrome, uh, taken from the experience that I've had as both a soldier and a healthcare professional. Um I think that's enough talking about it. I am pretty happy with it. I finished it a couple months ago, and uh, 
am glad with how it turned out. I think I accomplished what I wanted to with it. Um, that's not to say that it's good. That's who knows. Um, and about that, you know, you, you, one thing that I think anybody trying to do anything creative, especially writers, it is really difficult to find people willing to read your stuff. Not in like a bad way. You know, if you gave me 70,000 words and were like, Hey, read this and tell me what you think. I probably would have a tough time doing it too. We're just all very busy in our lives. Um, so I had like something like 22 people volunteer to beta read for me. And I haven't heard back from any of them. And I'm not bitter about it. I'm sure that it just got lost between way more important things that they have going on in their own lives. But I did have a few people reach out and say, hey, I, I, I wouldn't read that. I never would. But if you read it to me, I would listen. And I think they said it as a joke. But uh, anybody that knows anything about me knows not to tempt me with a good time. So this is me calling. <laughs> this is me meeting their bluff. Uh, I'm going to read this book bit by bit, hopefully in somewhere like half hour sections. Uh, my goal today is to get through three chapters because I think within the first three chapters here, you'll have a good idea of if you like it or not. Um, and if you want to continue, um, I'm open to all feedback. Really, that's this is a first draft and I've already committed to not fixing anything in the recording process. I have a little notepad here to make notes for myself. So there's a chance that if you call something out, I might have also noticed it and have already fixed it. But that being said, um, I would love to hear from you in any form, email, Facebook, uh, um, podcast form, whatever. Um, because really, I at the end of the day, my goal has always been entertain. I want to entertain you and I want to be entertaining. And so that is what this is about. So without further ado, uh, we're going to read the first three chapters of The War Cleric. Um, I am not a, a professional voice actor. Uh, but we will try to get through this. I'll try to make it fun to listen to. Um, so here we go. Uh, <clears throat> episode one, The War Cleric, chapters one through three. Written, produced, edited, uh, created based on the works of everything uh, by me, Samuel Center. And uh, please don't steal it. I promise there are better, much better indie writers that you could steal from than me. All right. Thanks. So here we go. Chapter one. <clears throat> Revington, sovereign archpriest of the Immerfallen Clerical Order, resigned himself to an act of desperate evil. It was the first in his long and sanctimonious life. There was a tired inevitability to the wickedness in his mind, like the way it felt to finally drop something heavy after carrying it for far too long. Decades of piety had left him sure of only one truth. Time corrupted purity, making hypocrites from the just. This is wrong, he thought. This is shameful. These objections were overpowered by an unshakable truth. This is necessary. Worn leather boots drudged through the thick mud of the mountain path, and his soft hands ached with the stress of dragging the old cart behind him. He could barely hear the creaking of the wheels over the crashing sounds of thunder and torrential rainfall. He threw a glance back at his precious cargo. A young man's lifeless body laid crumpled under a thick wool blanket that was growing heavier as it absorbed water. He knew without a doubt that the prodigy would not survive the night unless he intervened. A flash of lightning lit the night enough for him to see his other traveling companion waiting through the muck about twenty yards behind. There was something admirable about the deformed Moppet, who was watch matching his pace despite having a hunchback frame and malformed legs. Doubt began to bubble from deep within, but the two struggled on. 
The old man pulled his rickety cart up the mountain while the child limped behind. They did not stop to rest, even as the storm worsened around them. Strong winds funneled down the incline and threatened to blow them tumbling back down to the base, but they stood strong. They endured because they had to. There is no other way. The rain pelted against Revington with pinprick precision. He used his free hand to close the sides of his hood around his face. His ears had gone numb over an hour ago. He looked ahead and could see the tree line closing in tighter on the narrow lane. When lightning would flash, the branches cast shadows like skeletal fingers reaching out to choke the life from him. We're almost there, he said aloud, knowing that he wouldn't be heard. The cart's left wheel slammed against a rock that was jutting out from the pulling mud. The sudden stop tore the handle from Revington's hand and sent him reeling onto his face. Freezing sludge caked itself around him, threatening to smother him with its filth. His bones screamed their sharp objections down the length of his spine. For a moment he was still. He thought about how much easier it would be to just stay there and suffocate. Two grubby hands tugged against the back of his cloak and yanked him back onto his feet. It was the Moppet, whose gnarled face looked downright monstrous in the gloom. Rivington found himself unable to meet the genuine concern being shown for him. He used a flat hand to scrape the mess from his face. Thick globs of blood spat from his palm as he shook it off, alerting him that he had lost a good chunk of skin during the fall. He hunched over to dig for the cart's hand grip, but the child pushed him away and pointed toward forward with his twisted little finger. The hunchback then grabbed the handle from the grime and started pulling the wagon himself. Revington marveled at the boy's ability to hobble uphill. He would occasionally slip forward with his left leg, but was always able to catch himself before falling and swoop back into motion without missing a step. His slipping developed into a clumsy waltz. If anything, the pair only moved faster. The elevation made the temperature drop around them, and the rain warped into sleet. He wrapped his arms around himself tightly and shivered terribly against the howling frost. It was as though the weather itself was trying to stop them. His shaking legs began to rebel against him, refusing to lurch forward another step. He recited the old prayers in an attempt to steal his own resolve, but failed. He had never felt so isolated from his faith. There is no glory to be found here. This is a dark and wicked thing. The night grew darker. The infrequent flashes of lightning would illuminate the path only long enough to reassure him that they were still climbing forward. But they left them him blind and disoriented. He reeled from dizzy exhaustion. It began to feel as though they were actually descending into the jaws of a hungry abyss. He wheezed, fighting against the burning in his knees and lower back. The mud grabbed hold, sucking him down into the earth. The boy came to a halt and slowly looked up. A giant stone face peered out from the black. A tortured creation, missing its eyes and lashing out with teeth that had been sharpened into fangs. As Revington drew closer, he could see that the face had been carved above the entrance to a long-forgotten mausoleum. He shuffled over and placed his trembling hand on the back of the fascinated boy, who looked back with awe. They had arrived at last. Revington pulled a single yellow rose from his satchel. He clasped it within his palms and whistled a bittersweet melody left over from a forgotten age into the gap between his thumbs. The petals began to glow dimly. He pressed the flower into the base of the monstrous statue and was relieved when he felt the doorway respond by rumbling loose. They sealed themselves within. Together they lifted the body from the cart 
and placed it on the sto- cold, stony floor. The hunchback grabbed some branches from a sack that hung on his side and started preparing a small fire. Revington watched as he stacked sticks into a pyramid with little fingers that poked around like pincers. It did not take long for the flame to provide enough warmth to make them all feel human again. Despite being over a thousand years old, the cavernous tomb was immaculate. There were no grand murals or golden decorations. Not even cobwebs or patches of mold dared to creep down from the corners. The only smells were that of cold stone and wet human. Revington lifted the thick blanket off of the body and revealed the unconscious figure beneath. It was the prodigy, a fantastic brute of only 17 years. Despite being on the cusp of death, it was impossible to deny the raw power that emanated from his body. His fingers searched for a pulse and were pleased to find that it was still present, even if it had grown all the fainter during their trick. My brother, <laughs> the, old, the other boy finally spoke. The nasally pitched squeak of his voice echoed unpleasantly between the walls that trapped them. Is he, is he still alive? Revington nodded. For now. He attempted to reassure the child with a smile. You did well on our journey here. I don't, don't think I c- could make it, he squeaked. This is the farthest I've ever walked at one time. You should be proud. I like to think of myself as an accomplished adventurer. And that was one of the most difficult climbs I have ever endured. The boy blushed and looked around at his feet, refusing to make eye contact. Thank you, Your Excellency. Revington waved the words away, but was secretly impressed at the lad's manners. Please, there's no need for that. The two sat in silence. Revington watched the boy poke at the fire to keep it burning and marveled at how grotesque he actually was. His cheekbones seemed to pull in completely opposite directions, stretching his blotched skin over an engorged nose that nearly eclipsed his sad, drooping eyes. His jaw seemed to melt away from the top of his head, punctuating itself with rotting teeth that seemed to each shoot out independently in their own directions. He was a sack of old potatoes, not a human being. He seemed to notice the archpriest's stare and self-consciously scooted backward, turning away toward the wall. I still do not know how to pronounce your name, sire. Revington removed his cloak and folded it next to him. Ah, 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 the the boy grunted with frustration at his stutter. Ank, he said, putting a hard emphasis on the first syllable. It's more of a sound than a proper name, isn't it? He joked. Ank nodded, still fixated on the floor. Well, Ank, do you know where we are? You, you told me before we left. You, you said we were... G- g- going to Helshman's grave. You are quite right. More specifically, do you know the significance of this place? The story behind it? Only silence answered. I know I'm doing like a solid snake-like voice for Revington, just as a side note. Um, Again, this was not, I'm not a professional. It just, I have to make their voices different or you're not going to know who's talking. But just know that I also find it very silly and uh, I'm just going to keep pushing through it. Uh, Do not be ashamed. It is an ancient secret that very few have any knowledge of. Would you like to learn? More silence. When Helsman was born, a traveling elder witch prophesied that he would lead mankind into a new age of information, and that he would change the way we understood good and evil forever. Naturally, his parents took this message to heart. They sent him away to become an academic, and, eventually, he grew into a great scholar-monk. 
The fire crackled, shooting sparks in every direction. and continued to tend the fire, but he leaned in closer to Revington than before. He labored with the effort of a titan, often going entire weeks without sleeping. Years went by without any great revelations. He studied all twelve of the dominant eras until he had mastered knowledge from every atrocity and act of compassion ever recorded. Another decade passed before the pressure of his destiny broke him. He started screaming one morning and did not stop once for six entire months. That's not possible, Ank accused, then quickly corrected himself. Sorry, your excellence. I knew you wouldn't lie. Revington laughed. (laughs) Do not fret, Ank. Deciphering truth from fiction is exactly why we study these old tales. Shall I continue? Yes, please. The problem was that he knew deep down that he could never be capable of benevolence. He reasoned that if he would not be able to deepen our understanding of good, then he would have to demonstrate an evil like we had never seen before. He seized his fellow monks and performed grotesque experiments on them discovering new tortures that left his brothers in cursed agony for entire years. He inflicted so much pain that he caught the attention of Makai, the shame of carnage, who was able to manifest itself as a human being using the blood of Helshman's victims. A human god? Yes. They actually they enjoy crossing over to our realm on occasion just to play their games. He stared past the flames, scanning the concrete wall for cracks. But the cunning Helshman had known what was coming. He had designed the entire horror as an elaborate trap. The moment Mackay stepped into our reality, he was stabbed him. And he was stabbed with the blade that had been carved from the bones of a virgin priestess. Helshman knew that he could kill Mackay and end the existence of suffering forever. To this day, it is the only recorded evidence we have that a mortal being can harm a god. Did it work? Not entirely. Makai was gravely injured and had to retreat back to his own realm. This led to a prolonged era of peace. Since then, there has not been a single war in all of Immerfall. What happened to Helshman? He exiled himself and spent the rest of his life alone in these very mountains. When he died, they say that a great argument erupted amongst the gods. Even the eternal judge, Civicus, could not determine whether Helshman's terrible actions were justified. After an eon of arguing, it was decided that he deserved neither punishment nor reward. So they erased his very soul from existence. No afterlife, then? Nothing. They erected this empty tomb as a monument and then forbade infantry to all. It is here to remind us that there is no good that can justify evil, and likewise, no evil so powerful that it can be overcome by good. Then he completed his prophecy after all? Aye, in his own way. Even after all of this time, the gods refused to come here. So far as we know, this is the only place in existence where we can hide from both the glory and the shame. Wind howled from beyond the safety of their shelter. Chunks of ice and scattered debris shattered against the outer walls. Thunder boomed angrily from the great beyond, reminding them that even if they were currently beyond the grasp of gods, the reprieve would never last. Ank. Revington took a very deep breath. We are short on time. I'm going to ask you some very important questions. I need you to answer them as honestly as you can. I will do, do, do my best. 
My first question is an easy one. Do you love him? Your brother? The pause lasted much longer than Ink had intended. Yes, I th think so. It's only logical that you would hesitate. I suppose that he has been gone for most of your life. Do you understand why he has been away for all these years? He has been with you, learning how to be a cleric. Indeed. And do you realize how important that is? Ank seemed to crumple into a ball as the conversation went on. He placed his hands over his ears and tried shrinking away. F -f -f Father told me he was going to be mightier than a king. Oh, yes. Any fool can wear a crown, but only an infant marked by the glory can even hope to become a cleric. We are the great physicians, divine healers without equal. There are only ten chosen in every generation. Ponder that. Ten out of millions. And your brother is the greatest that I have ever seen. He is. I am not exaggerating in the slightest. Your brother, Mattis, will say your brother, Mattis, will save countless lives if he survives this illness. He has gifts well beyond our comprehension. Can't you heal him? Revington sighed. Please believe that we have tried absolutely everything. We have exhausted every resource available to us. His disease is incurable. Incurable? What's that? It means we cannot make him better. Uh, oh. Ang swept his lowered gaze over to Mattis' lifeless body. What do we need to do? Revington paused. Tell me, Ank, do you know the difference between being doomed and being damned? Ank pondered the question until he finally shook his head that he did not. That is understandable. I will keep the answer short. Doom is something that you're born with. But simply, it is fate. It is the very nature of our universe, ruining your life by random chance. Now being damned, that is very different. It is a deliberate and personal affair. I d d don't understand, Ink whispered. You will. Now that you've heard his story, let us use Helshman as an example. Tell me, was he doomed or was he damned? Was he created to stab a god? Did the Elder Witch condemn him to his fate when she made her prophecy? Maybe the man damned himself by obsessing over the empty words of a crazed Hellion. Ink tapped the floor. I, I don't know. Difficult to say, isn't it? Revington leaned forward and motioned towards Mattis. You two were born mere hours apart. He grew to become so handsome and strong. And you? Ank had turned away again and was fidgeting aimlessly with his boots. Not that. It seems fair to say that you've been doomed from the beginning. Only Ank's forced panting responded. I imagine that you've never been called a hero. Revington moved, started moving closer to the hunchback. Ank instinctively started inching away. Then allow me to be the first, Ankh. I genuinely believe that you are an extraordinary young man. When I said that I needed your help, you abandoned everything and climbed this mountain with me. He placed a heavy hand on Ank's shoulder and pushed down. You have the heart of a champion. The wind outside calmed to a fine hiss. A stillness crept into the space and left the air stale, feeling heavier than before. The four walls seemed to shrink down upon them. 
The spitting flames cast themselves upon Revington's towering frame until he glowed like a pale demon. <laughs> I'm going to damn us both tonight, Revington whispered. I will not beg for your clemency, for I know that I will never again forgive myself. Ank felt his stomach drop from under him as he tried to push away from the archpriest. He looked up just in time to see a sharpened blade being lifted above him with a practiced swiftness. N n no the storm the storm the storm sorry the storm held its breath no it's like Darth Vader thing. no the storm held its breath granting a single moment of perfect silence Revington allowed himself one final opportunity to question his faith he inspected the gleaming blade of the priestess's dagger and looked upon the quivering lump of human that whimpered beneath it. He closed his eyes and felt the tears push out. Finally, he plunged the knife down. Chapter 2 Ank stood in the middle of a frozen lake that stretched out farther than the eye could see. Enormous swirling ribbons of energy pulsated through the sky creating a wondrous dance of purples, pinks, and greens that were mirrored perfectly in the pristine glass of deep blue ice below. A warm golden light arched majestically from the horizon, emanating peace through its glittering tendrils. Endless swarms of hot air balloons littered the far distance like constellations, drifting upwards, or perhaps downwards depending on how one chose to orient themselves between the opposing reflections. The entirety of the spectacle was equal parts dizzying and mystifying. May I start now? Or did you need another hour to stand there with your mouth hanging open like some kind of beached whale? A whispering, cheery voice asked from behind. Ank attempted to steady himself within the cyclone of living colors. What? Why? He managed to turn and see a small orb of pure light floating within an arm's reach. You can stop stuttering here, please. Still your mind. Focus, and you will find that you are able to ask your questions clearly. The light instructed. Where am I? Ank said, surprised at how easily the words poured from his lips. Simply put, you are in the eternity that exists between the end and the beginning. It's beautiful. Yes, you dramatic little humans like to vilify and fear the unknown. But this is the true nature of death. The light chuckled. Not so terrible in the end, eh? The spiraling waves of vivid light continued to bleed seamlessly into their counterparts beneath them, creating a giant tunnel of ethereal artistry. I have died, then. Not entirely. Your body is certainly dead, but your soul is merely dying. What happens now? You'll have to make a choice. I see. The light hovered closer. You are calm. I feel a responsibility to ensure that you appreciate your situation. Yes, Sovereign, Rev Sovereign Revington killed me in that tomb. Ank rubbed the hand, rubbed his hand over the part of his neck that had been pierced by the blade. He could still feel the sting. Are you angry? No. Sad? No, I'm better dead. Are you absolutely certain about that? Yes. What if I were to say that I disagree? How so? Ank. I believe that the mortal world is much better with you in it. The light seemed to bounce back and forth as it spoke. That is, if you accept my offer. And who are you? 
There was a strange vibration, almost like laughter. You may call me Nordstrom. Yes, I like that name. Nordstrom. Think of me as your spiritual guide. Are you of the shame or of the glory? Why must your species constantly divide everything into such trite categories? I am here only to help. Fine. He was unsatisfied with the answer. What choice do I have to make? Ank took a single step forward and immediately slipped on the deep blue ice. A strange force from the orb pulled him steady. Revington killed you because he wants to save your brother. He's using forbidden magicka to steal the life force and transfuse it into Mattis. He told me that Mattis will save countless lives. He is a fool! Nordstrom glowed red for a moment, but quickly returned to normal. Mattis has been dead for weeks. The body is an empty shell that has only been kept functional through inane corruption of the natural order. Fortunately, this has accidentally created a unique opportunity just for you. Ink tried to listen, but found he was irresistibly drawn to the dazzling display around him. Okay, he mumbled. The ritual has created a temporary bridge between the two of you. Thanks to that, I now have the power to place your soul into your brother's body. You will become him, clerical powers and all. The word snapped Ank out of his trance. What? You heard correctly. Just imagine what you could accomplish. There is no limit. What about Modus? I told you, he is long gone. You will not be hurting him, only saving yourself. Ank sat down, bewildered. He lifted his hands and stared at their misshapen, wriggling fingers that, had he, that he had been born with. He remembered the day that Mattis had left home. The entire village had gathered to send him off. The men had lifted him above their shoulders while the women cheered and sang songs for him. Ank had watched from afar, dreaming of what it would be like. Nordstrom lowered himself as well. I'm not going to drag you kicking and screaming. This can only happen if you truly want it. Look to your left. One of the hot air balloons had drifted over and landed quietly next to them. It hovered in place just barely above the tundra. The wicker basket at its base bobbed gently beneath the bubble of gas-filled fabric that kept it afloat. Dangling ropes creaked off the side, swaying to a welcoming breeze. Nordstrom floated next to the waiting basket. If you climb into this, it will take you up just like everybody else. You can meet Civicus and receive your final judgment. You can enjoy all the humdrum of being a dust mite, blowing around in the winds of affinity. I am sure that you will end up in some nice, boring crevice. Ink rose to his feet and crept closer, mindfully keeping a safe distance. He admired the simple craftsmanship of the tightly woven wicker. He wondered how the flame shooting upwards into the balloon was able to maintain such a perfect height. You have suffered your entire life. Nordstrom's light wafted off and <laughs> wafted off and wrapped itself around Ank's body. It is all you have ever known. Even your own father blamed you for your mother's death. I cannot fault you for wanting to give up and die. However, I need you to consider how different everything could be. You can have every joy that has been withheld from you. Imagine being adored by everyone you meet. Imagine the taste of a meal being shared amongst friends. Imagine love. Can you even pretend to know the touch of a woman in your wildest fantasies? Ink tilted his head down and caught his own face in the ice. He looked deep into the gaping sockets that housed his cavernous green eyes. You can have it all, Ink. You just have to admit that you want it, and I will take care of the rest.
The decision was already made. I do. I want it. All of it. Ank nearly choked on the words as they left his lips. He felt guilty, almost as if he had betrayed himself in the admission. Then it begins in earnest. The orb began to vibrate again, but more violently than before. The glossy shell began to churn and boil. Nordstrom screeched painfully until he suddenly exploded, shooting crystalline shards in all directions. The sharpened points tore through Ank's soul. There was no time to scream. The binding light ignited, evaporating what was left. In the flash, the hunchback and the orb were gone. Chapter 3 Days passed in a feverish haze as Ank fell in and out of consciousness next to the man who had murdered him. It was obvious that they were traveling, but impossible to discern which direction. The frequent jerks from the horse's clopping shook him loose from sleep for minutes at a time, but he always fell back into the miserable womb of an illness like he had never known. Nordstrom was with him in spirit now, sharing a corner of his mind. He spoke constantly, only adding to the insufferable headache. You need to be very careful not to give yourself away, he repeated over and over, almost indecipherable from Ang's own thoughts. Your best strategy would be to stay silent for the time being. You have much to learn if you hope to take your brother's place in an organization this sophisticated. We will be exposed if you make even the slightest error. I will remain with you for as long as it takes to find your footing in this new world. Revington remained hypervigilant from his coop at the front of the carriage. The tight grip he held on the worn leather reins never loosened. He scanned their environment with a paranoia that only guilty men can carry. He has more to lose in this venture than you can possibly imagine, Nordstrom explained. He holds the rank of sovereign, which means he is above all other clerics. If the order were to discover what he has done, well... I cannot even begin to guess what would happen. Such an act of heresy could stand to unravel them completely. Such words spun through Ank as he tumbled through the hours. He heard maybe one-third of what he was told. He felt as though his organs were refusing to accept him. His heart would slow to a dead crawl and then race without reason, creating a tightness in his chest that threatened to snap him in half. His stomach bloated to such an extreme that he could swear it was going to tear through his lower abdomen. His bowels would clench and contract until he could taste them in the back of his throat. There was no rest, no semblance of peace. Ghastly visions tormented the darkness waiting behind closed eyes. Dark copies of his father baptized him in pools of rotten viscera, while ghouls prodded him with rusted spears. The thick mucus of the entrails clung to his skin and pulled him down farther into the vat. The worst of it all, though, was what he could not see. Deep laughter rung, rang from the emptiness. The clumsy parade between these nightmares and his brief glances of wakefulness only served to nauseate him further. He was back in the carriage, sprawled out, rough splinters scratched against the bottom of his bare ankles. Sunlight gleamed through small breaks in the trees that towered above on both sides. The cerulean sky slowly panned across the field of his vision as they lumbered forward. The world was warm and smelled of pine. Nordstrom prattled on about how to behave as a student. Your brother was nearing the end of his final year of training, Nordstrom continued, which means that they will expect you to be peerless in your abilities. Fret not, for I will be here to assist you through any examinations or practical exercises. You will still need to act the part, however. You need to appear as though you have absolute confidence in yourself. Ank attempted to move his fingers and toes for the hundredth time and was pleasantly surprised when he felt his left thumb respond. He was, he was able to curl it slightly. How was he supposed to play the role of a valiant warrior when he could not even make a fist? Be patient. 
Your brother's strength will return in time. You cannot fathom what lies ahead. Rest now. The nightmare came again. Ink was bound tightly to a table, unable to move. Ash wafted through the cold hall, accumulating in dead piles. Father sat above him, saliva dripping from the corners of his exaggerated grin. His wrinkled hands were clasped together, holding a secret object tightly within. The palms opened slowly to reveal a gobbet of purple and gray muscle. It was a human heart. The muscles stretched and contracted in a wheezing pattern, desperately beating on despite having been torn away from some unknown victim. Father examined the heart, never allowing his eerie expression to falter in the slightest. He then used his left hand to grab Ank's cheeks and squeeze his mouth open. Ank tried to shake his body and turn his face away, but there was no fighting it. The organ was lowered down, rubbing vile grease in a circular motion over Ank's lips. The horse cart was jolted by an abrupt halt. Ank opened his eyes in time to see Revington jump to his feet and assume a defensive stance. Speak your intentions, spirit, Revington commanded. A hissing bellowed from somewhere ahead. Did you truly believe that a simple storm could hide you from me? The mountain is my domain. Nothing escapes my sight. I urge you to remove yourself from my path, Sluiskin. I have made every effort to avoid a battle between us. I know that you have defiled the grave. It reeks of your sin. My honor binds me to purpose. I cannot allow you to live. Repent and find your death swiftly, for this is just in the eyes of the glory. Revington lowered his right hand to the golden hilt of his sword. You would be wise to have caution when speaking on such matters. I am not some common barbarian. I know you, Archpriest. Just as I know that you have fallen to corruption, your actions hold no righteousness. This would be an excellent time for you to find your legs, Nordstrom urged. Sluskin is the ordained custodian of Helshman's Mountain. She is a formidable opponent, and she must certainly be determined if she has hunted you all this way. Ank strained himself and was able to lift his head just enough to see past their cart. Sluskin towered ahead on the path. Her body was at least twice the size of a normal man. It was comprised of tightly wound branches and vines that were arranged to, arranged to resemble a gigantic humanoid frame. Sharpened thorns jutted out across the entirety of her chest and torso. She wore a mantle of fungi adorned and adorned stoned as her pauldrons. Her head was a decaying skull of a red stag. A single yellow eye gaped wildly from behind the overgrown strands of tangled green moss that hung down over the entire mess. Mighty antlers stretched out from the tainted porcelain, reaching upward like the wings of an eagle. She was the raw strength of nature incarnate. I will ask you one time to stand aside. I have the utmost respect for your kind. Revington unsheathed his blade, but I will not hesitate to strike you down. Sluiskin lowered her head and snarled. Steam shot from the hollow nostrils of her skinless snout. She leaned back on her hind leg and shot forward. The reinforced points of antlers led the way in a fierce charge. Revington needed to protect Mattis at all costs. He was thrown off balance as the horses that had been pulling the cart began to rear up on their hind legs in anticipation of the coming impact. They had been diligently trained not to flee in the face of such dangers, but it was unlikely they would survive a single blow. He found his posture and leapt diagonally from the platform, rolling forwards when he hit the ground. Momentum from the maneuver allowed him to push off from his heels, sending him flying towards Sluiskin. 
The edge of his blade was tilted down as he used the force of his rushed attack to collide directly with the creature's lower shin. The slash toppled the golem and sent them both tumbling in opposite directions. Sluskin was able to recover far quicker than predicted and used her immense weight to lash out with a gigantic claw comprised of honed quartz. The crystalline talons tore through the side of Remington's left arm as he turned to parry the blow, spraying crimson onto the dirt below. Make no mistake, he is an elite swordsman, Nordstrom observed, but he is well past his prime. You have to join this fight one way or another. Ank tensed every muscle that he could feel in a desperate attempt to move. He took a deep breath and tried again. Beads of sweat trickled down his forehead from the effort. With absolute exertion, he was able to finally overcome his paralysis and rock the trunk of his body. He wiggled slowly from side to side. Honestly, I was hoping for just a little more. Sluskin deflected a hard thrust from Revington's blade by swinging her head sideways and blocking it with her sizable horns. This launched the sword and sent it spiraling through the air until it landed several feet away. Revington reached for the dagger hanging off his side, but was kicked into the tree line before he could get a hold of it. The force knocked the wind out of his lungs and left him reeling. Dazed, he grasped wildly for a handful of dried leaves. He then closed his... He held them close to his chest and screamed. Fire erupted out of his palm and showered the lumbering attacker in flames as she rushed to pin him down. She recoiled from the immense flash of heat. It singed the fine strands of moss that covered her body, but, to Revington's disappointment, failed to make her ignite. He grabbed another handful of roughage and winced. This is going much worse than I expected. I have a plan, but you need to get down on the ground. Now! Hank continued to wiggle himself backwards, painstakingly maneuvering himself for toward the rear opening of the cart. He panted from the effort. This is taking too long. Have you tried speaking yet? I need you to yell, yep, as loud as you can. Something akin to a gasp left Ank's mouth. He licked his lips and tried harder. Yup, he whispered. There was another explosion from the fight. We are going to die if you cannot do this. I'm going to assume that you are tired of dying. Concentrate. Yup, Ank said, slightly louder than before. The tone was deep and alien. Yup. Give it everything you got. You're almost there. Yup, Ank screamed, still bewildered over how his voice was not his own. The horses whinnied in response and started galloping obediently. The sudden acceleration caused Ank to slide backward and roll out of the carriage. He hit the ground with a hard thud and yelped as pain shot through his body. Excellent. That should have woken you up. I need you to grab a whole fist of dirt. Now. Still recovering from the fall, Ink rolled his eyes and started pinching his fingers together one by one. They were more responsive than before. He started scratching at the soil. Smoke wafted from the deepening charred crater in Revington's chest. He had reached his limit. The growing crack in his sternum made it clear that he would not be able to withstand the blow of a casting another combustion spell. The ringing in his ears served to dull his senses, but he was still surprised to see his horses fly past as they sprinted down the trail. Had Mattis been able to escape by some divine miracle? If so, then perhaps he could accept defeat. As long as the prodigy lived on, maybe he could find rest in the death he most assuredly deserved. Sluskin was closing down upon him. Her eye was wild with the splendor of impending victory. Ank managed to fill his hands with dirt. He wanted to feel proud, but he still did not understand how he was going to help. Revington had been bested. The killing blow was imminent. I need you to open your mind because this is going to be very difficult to understand. 
Most clerics have 12 years to learn what I'm about to explain in seconds. Everything that exists in this world is made up of much smaller pieces. You have the power to manipulate these tiny particles and adjust their properties to your will. The potential for this ability is limited only by the imagination and skill of its user. Aang shifted the clumps of dirt before resting in his hands. There's a microbe in the soil called <laughs> Mycobacterium procreate. It triggers, triggers the release of pheromones that cause the local termite population to reproduce. Are you following me? He was not. I need you to increase the amount of that microbe in your hands. You're going to convert as many particles as possible. Mattis was a genius in this field, and now you have his brain. Close your eyes and let the material connect with you. Almost mockingly, Ank did as he was told. To his amazement, there was an incomprehensible surge of energy. Hot static flowed up his arms. In his mind's eye, he could see a swirling cloud of different colored bubbles orbiting one another and bouncing from one end of the spectrum to the other. You'll have time to digest all of this later. For now, I just need you to change those, these to the color purple. Do not concern yourself with anything more technical than that. Do you hear me? Purple. His brain seemed to automatically set itself to the task. Ang's only conscious input was repeating the word purple over and over, but the rest was pure instinct. One by one, the particles fluttered and changed their color. It was a breathtaking display. Some split in half to create multiples. Others needed to absorb the debris around them before they could complete the transition. In an instant, the entire field glowed violet. You actually converted them all? Nordstrom sounded uncharacteristically surprised. That should not be possible. I cannot even guess what kind of effect this will have. He sounded excited. Ank opened his eyes and looked back towards his hands. The dirt had melted away. All that was left was a pulsating mass of gelatinous residue. Now you need to summon enough strength to throw it. Sluskin took one final look at her prey. The old man had settled on a peaceful expression that stirred feelings of sympathy. There had been no sign of malice in any of his attacks. He had surely violated mountain law, but perhaps he was not the apostate that she had presumed him to be. This thought gave her pause. There were bigger forces at work than she could see. More information was required. She bent down even closer to ask a question, but something slapped her from behind. She shot upright and reached behind to inspect the area. She had been hit with some kind of thick adhesive. Ank fell back down, completely exhausted. He had done it. Whatever it was. A single termite crawled through the first forest floor and found its way onto the spirit's hoof. Tiny antenna twitched excitedly before it plunged hungry mandibles into the tightened wood that comprised Sluskin's body. Another termite followed shortly after. Then five more. Ten. A swarm. They came in droves and began eating her alive from the ground up. She howled in painful confusion and clawed at herself frantically to scrape them all off. She had been swept into a living wave of gluttonous, snapping jaws. They devoured her legs within moments, and her torso was gone even faster. Even as she tried desperately to use her one remaining arm to pull herself back onto the pathway, more armies of termites were clamoring from their hideaways to join the feast. She continued to squeal helplessly, the pitch growing more pathetic until it whistled out into a final gurgled plea for the pain to end. Her pale, blue, her pale skull fell lifelessly into the pile of frenzied insects. The ghastly yellow eye was plucked out from its socket to be torn apart by the squirming masses. When they had finally finished, nothing remained of the mountain's great protector. That was fantastic! Nordstrom was ecstatic. Female termites become ravenous when they enter their mating season. 
Your compound really sent them into a frenzy. Ank was already unconscious. A metallic clink rang throughout the chamber as the grinning shadow of father slowly twisted a wheel that pulled Ank's table upright. The rough straps tightened against his wrists to keep them from falling. When he was perpendicular to the dungeon's floor, he became aware of another presence in the chamber with him. <coughs> a hooded figure approached him from the darkness. It squealed wildly from the hidden depths of his cloak. When it met Ank's eyeline, it slowly pulled, from, pulled back its hood, revealing the rotting face of a pig. Its wide eyes rolled lifeless in the gaping holes left in its sogging pink flesh. Fetid boils oozing with pus dotted the lines of its chin and brow. The stench of rotted slop wafted from its dangling pale tongue. Never breaking eye contact, it slowly reached up with decayed hooves. It grabbed hold and began pulling on a chain that hung from a pulley just above the hole, hoisting something from the depths below. Each long drag of the rusted chain summoned forth more dread with an ink. It was a raw panic that smashed against his innards like a wild beast breaking free from a cage. He knew that it was only a nightmare, but there was too much weight to the emotions that it conjured. The fantastically exaggerated visions were masking a terrible truth. The chain rattled as its cargo neared the surface. Ank wanted nothing more than to keep it hidden below. He begged for them to stop and release the chain. He did not want to see. He could not bear to know. He was answered only with the same vacant stare from the hideous pig. A body emerged. It was dangling limply from the neck. The abdomen had been torn open and everything within had been ripped out. Flaps of traumatized skin framed the empty cavity that had once housed living organs. Ank followed the line of crude butchery up until he met the victim's barren gray eyes. It was Mattis, his only brother, dead and molested beyond any hope of repair. Murderer! The swiney executioner began to chant. Murderer! 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 The words rose into a screaming chorus as father joined from behind. Murderer! 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 <laughs> Revington turned to shake Ank's shoulder. We have arrived, Harold Mattis. We're home at last. Ank's eyes shot open. He was drenched in a cold sweat. Your fever finally broke as you slept. It was the first genuine smile Remington had worn in months. It appears that you will make a full recovery after all. The air blew around them and invited Ank to his feet. He marveled at how easy it was to sit up. He felt a spouting vitality like he had never known. He looked past the archpriest to what stood beyond. Through the trees, <laughs> through the cheese. Uh, no, through the trees, at the end of a winding road, a colossal lighthouse rose from the chalky edge of a seaside cliff. It was impractically tall, at least 500 meters. The ocean sun glittered against the plates of steel that spiraled up from the tower's immense base of reinforced concrete. Puffy white clouds circled the shimmering gold cupola. Cupola. I don't know. This is a word I know what it is, but I've never had to say it before. Cupola? Cupola? I don't know that crowned the wondrous architecture against the vast sky of perfect blue. Magna Lucius, Nordstrom exclaimed. It serves as headquarters for the clerical order. Ank was dizzy in the shadow of such an incredible sight. He had heard stories of the place, but had never dreamed of seeing it for himself. I have always, I've never been so glad to return, Revington beamed. It'll be a great relief to stand in the light once more. Ank started to speak, but Nordstrom stopped him. Just nod for now. Revington noted the hesitation and pulled his reins to stop the horses. 
You had a long... You've been through a great ordeal, young sire. Perhaps you should go and cool yourself in the river. Take as long as you require. Ankh's new legs were clumsy at first, but he was able to stand and climb down from the carriage. See, was that really so difficult? Revington looked over him with pride. I cannot even begin to express how glad I am to see you awake. His face grew deadly serious. One day soon, you and I will need to have a very long conversation about everything that I have done and why. I have so much to tell you, but this is not the time. I need you to focus solely on finishing your training. You are more important than you know. Ang returned to the sentiment with a crooked smile and wandered towards the sound of flowing water. He felt weightless somehow. His back was straight and supportive. His legs were so strong and even. He had never moved so painlessly. Without consciously doing, deciding to do so, he started galloping through the trees. His lungs filled with fresh open air as he started laughing gleefully. He swung his arms from side to side and marveled at the thick bands of muscle that propelled him forward. Was this how everyone else felt? Was this the joy of a body unencumbered by crippling deformity? He thought he might never stop running for as long as he lived. The riverbank called to him with cool waters. He slid to his knees and moved to make a cup with his hands. He leaned over the side of the muddy bank and gasped. There, in the pool looking back at him, was the same anguished face from his dreams. It was not his reflection. It was Mattis. Beautiful, wonderful Mattis, demanding justice from behind the rippling glass. Though his eyes were not as gray as they were in his vision, they were no less vacuous and condemning. Murderer! 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 Uh, so yeah, that concludes uh, the first three chapters of my book. Um, if you're wondering how I'm feeling, it is very silly and very awkward uh, to, to read uh, to a bare wall uh, with no audience or any, any reaction or anything to bounce off of. Um, so if any of this felt cringe to you, um, just know that I am cringing hard enough now that every instinct I have is telling me not to post this. But I'm going to because I've committed to do so. Um, this episode's going to be about an hour long, it looks like. Uh, the rest will be shorter from now. I just felt like it was important to do the three-chapter sample um, to kind of get you into the story. You get a little bit of the magic. You get the setup. You get to know the characters a little bit. Or at least that is the goal. Um, again, I would love to hear feedback. Uh, my own feedback to myself is that the voices of Revington and Sluskin ended up being very similar. Um, but uh, just for timing purposes i don't have a ton of time i can't re-record it um so i'm sorry if that was a little bit confusing um i tried to give sluiskin more of a, a hiss to try to differentiate it a bit in, in the moment but uh i don't know how it'll play if, if they're indiscernible from each other i apologize uh this was definitely a new thing for me i'll try to you know i try to give nordstrom like the whisper because a lot of his stuff is an internal monologue um i don't know what Ang slash Mattis's voice is going to be going forward. It's supposed to be like a very confident, like very typical hero of this kind of story thing. Revington definitely like he started out as kind of like a metal, like a solid snake and kind of just became like a gruff, like, I don't know, almost, almost a whisper, which I was trying to get away from to make sure that Nordstrom stood out. Um, but anyway, that's all besides the point. Uh, I'd love to know if my pacing was okay when I read, if it was too fast or too slow, I tried to be mindful of that. Um, and then, of course, I would love to know what you thought of the first three chapters, even if you hated it. Even if this was the worst thing you've ever heard, I'd love to know why, like what lost you, what you didn't like. Um, let's just say that you did enjoy it. I would l truly love to hear that, too. 
Um, um, that would be great to know. Uh, like I said, all in all, even if it was pretty silly hearing me read it, I hope that you were entertained. That is the goal. I'm not going to say anything more. I'm just going to say that if you've made it this far, the full hour in, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Um, and I appreciate that you gave me a shot here and I hope that it was worth it. Um, thank you very much. I really just thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, great. I, I feel very, uh, happy that you would get this far. All right. That's enough of that. It is Sunday night. I have work at 4.30 tomorrow morning. It's already 9, 10 p.m. And I have to go. Uh, I'm planning on releasing this maybe every week, every two weeks. I don't know uh, how it's going to work out. Um, probably do about two chapters a, a rip. That'll probably end up being about a half hour. So uh, until next time, thank you. This was the first three chapters of The War Cleric, written and uh, edited and everything by me. Thank you so much, and have a good night, or whenever you listen to this. Boo. Hey, just wanted to add a quick note to say that uh, I actually went back and I fixed some of the voices that sound too much like by adding some effects. Uh, that's pretty cool that I can do that. Um, I expect that I will play with that a lot more moving forward. So hopefully it's not as confusing now. Sluiskin definitely stands out more since I lowered the pitch. Uh, all right, cool. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>